not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have you not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with the foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who do not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And this is God's word. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes uh, his letters with this uh, overall message of the, to the church about being rooted uh, in the righteousness of Christ. And that's we see is made freely available to us uh, in the gospel. And so uh, this message of the centrality of the gospel for the Apostle Paul is important, uh, especially when we consider the church that he's writing to in Rome. Uh, it's the city that at the time was uh, the center of culture and influence for the world itself. And so um, I, I want to set us up a little bit, though, for how it is that we get to this particular passage of Scripture. Uh, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 116, it tells us uh, uh, that, that uh, we are not to be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Uh, in chapter two, we see that the kindness of God should lead us to repentance. In chapter three, uh, uh, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, in chapter four, blessed are those who are forgiven and have uh, their sins covered. Chapter five says that we are justified by faith. Chapter six, we are to be dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. In chapter seven, our identity is not in our sin. In chapter eight, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter nine, we see that our salvation rests not in human will, but in God alone. And that sets us up for what it is that we see here this morning, um, that Paul just has some serious questions. Paul has some questions. So without going too far backwards, but I wanna place this in, in, in the broader context of what's uh, going on. This comes as a continuation of Paul's discussion of what it means to come to faith in Jesus. Uh, he says right before this in the, in the verses before, he says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he goes on to say, he said, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we're right in the middle of this conversation when Paul just has these questions that he really needs to have answered. Uh, Paul's use of rhetorical, rhetorical devices uh, is, is not anything that's new for us. Uh, he often writes this way, but I think he uses these, uh, these things in a couple of different ways that we should look at. Uh, the first I'd describe simply as the rhetorical no. The rhetorical no, like in uh, uh, Romans 6.15 when he asks if we should continue in sin. Or in 1 Corinthians 12.30, he asks, if all have the gift of tongues, these are things that we'd all kind of categorically say no to. 
Um, but, but there is this second use of, of questions where I, I believe the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to think through these specific processes. Uh, he's trying to get us to, to draw some intended logical conclusions. And that's what I think he's doing in today's text. So, so look at the first question from verse 14. It says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? You cannot find truth in what it is that you do not believe, Hope. Uh, so to believe is, is something uh, is defined as to have confidence in the truth. Uh, it is the existence or the reliability of something without absolute proof. Uh, that one is right in doing so and see uh, the need to believe being used a great deal in scripture. Uh, in Acts 16, 31, Peter preaches that we are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In Hebrews 11 and 6, it says that we must believe that he who is Jesus himself, the God, the Father, that he exists. In John 20, 27, we see that we are all called to stop doubting, but to believe. Uh, or, or simply in Mark's gospel in 115, uh, it says that we are to repent and believe the good news. To believe, though, is so much more than, than just to acknowledge that something uh, is, is true. Um, but to believe is a reflection of action. Uh, so Paul is questioning the ability to call on him, uh, which is to profess faith in Jesus Christ. And when they have not even yet believed or to not have acknowledged the truth of who Jesus is. So look at the second question. It says, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? So not only is believing an issue, but Paul pushes further and asks, how can they believe in something that they hadn't even heard of? You know, one of the great dangers of the world in which we live in today is that we have this uh, innate propensity to focus on ourselves uh, so that we can't get to truly know, love, and enjoy Jesus. Uh, because the thing that gives us our greatest desire often is ourselves. And when we can't get outside of ourselves, there is no way possible that we can truly walk in the evangelistic zeal that the scriptures calls us to. Uh, this passage of scripture though should, should highlight for us that there is such a great need for churches like Hope Portland. It, it, they, they need to exist as God's reflection of, of good news uh, to a broken people. Look then in the third question then. The third question asks, it says, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? So we've got to know that the necessity of gospel proclamation comes with the need for those who are called to proclaim it. And I'm always amazed, though, at how uh, this truth reveals the dynamic of how God uses us as humanity to draw us to himself. So as a preacher, though, I can promise you that this act of preaching is an act of love. And it's not about self-promotion or exaltation, but the embodiment of God's continued pursuit of us. It's important to note, though, that Paul is clearly talking about preaching the gospel. And we seem to, 
forget often that the message that Jesus himself preached was the call for you and I to come to repentance. In verse 15, the fourth question we, we see, it says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? But then get this response, Paul automatically responds. He says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, preaching is imperative for the church, so it's important that it's protected. Uh, so that's why we, we have to be committed to the training and developing of men who are called and competent and qualified to, to go and boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel. This talk about feet, though, I know is strange for you and I, but I'm sure even for Paul's uh, original audience, this whole feet thing had to be a little weird, too. I mean, when I, when I think of, of, of feet, I, I can't get out of my mind the dudes who walking around in those Jesus Cruiser sandals uh, when they definitely didn't get their gift of beautiful feet. Yet, yet Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So this isn't a literal beauty, but a beauty that comes from the joyful response of hearing the good news of the gospel being proclaimed. In verse 16, it says though, it says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And the word, but of course is an adverb. It's a conjunction and a preposition. Uh, so not only can it connect ideas, uh, but it also can draw, draw us towards a, a transition in thought. And that's exactly what Paul wants us to see here. He, he gives us this quote um, that comes directly from Isaiah 53. It's this gospel being proclaimed in the Old Testament. So remember, I mentioned this being a continuation of what Paul is referring to in verse 13, uh, so we can see that hearing the gospel is necessary for salvation, but to hear the gospel is not enough. Uh, we have to respond in faith. We have to respond in trusting in Jesus. And yet what is also clear in Isaiah 53 is that no matter what, not everybody is going to become uh, to believe in Jesus. The truth of us, the truth about it, uh, is that some of us like sin. Uh, we, we won't admit it, but we do. In fact, Paul says just a few chapters earlier uh, that the law of God is a gift to us because it brings us an awareness of sin, yet many of us simply choose to persist in it. In verse 17, though, it says, it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so... Let me just ask you a, a, a question. If hope, if faith comes from hearing and we hear through the word, how can we live without the word being preeminent in our lives? And I've come to acknowledge that the lack of maturity and growth in Christ for most Christians is simply because they haven't come to, to value God's word for their lives. In verse 18 and 19, look at how Paul goes back to asking these questions again. He says, but, but I ask, have they not heard? And then the response, he says, indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. 
But I asked, did Israel not understand? For Moses says, I will make you a jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. So this time, not only does Paul ask these rhetorical questions, but he goes on to answer them directly from the scriptures. The first question he answers, he, he quotes Psalm 19. And Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork and day to day it pours out speech and night and night to night reveals knowledge and there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. And their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So God himself can be seen in this revelation of nature. Um, you and I, we can simply walk outside and, and look at the beauty of the world around us and simply acknowledge that God himself exists. But what's beautiful about that is the reality that this God, who is the transcendent creator of the world, desires to live in covenant with you and I. The second question, though, is answered from uh, Deuteronomy 32. It's, it's Moses, he's preaching uh, to Israel and he's telling them uh, exactly um, what they were experiencing uh, to Rome in this time. And, and Paul recognizes that because he knows that what they're going through is, is, is scripture's experience. And just in case you hadn't noticed it yet, though, uh, the foolish nation that, that Paul is talking about here is the Gentiles. So it, it's, it's this you and I, it's this reality that God is making Israel jealous because Israel is going to see salvation come to people outside of the kingdom of Israel. They're going to see God's work in the lives of others. But notice something, notice something from De Deuteronomy 32:21, which is where Paul is quoting from at this point. He says, he says, they have made me jealous with what is no God. And they have provoked me to anger with idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. And I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So this is Moses, this, this is Moses preaching that because God has become um, so jealous of Israel's worship of false gods and idols, that God is saying that I am going to make Israel jealous because they're going to watch the deliverance and salvation that comes to others. So in verses 20 and 21, Paul says that, that then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who do not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And Paul is clearly an expert theologian on the writing of Isaiah, so he knows that Isaiah is speaking prophetically here. Uh, if you want to go back and see this in, in, in Isaiah's context, uh, it's found in Isaiah 65. It says that those who are not even seeking God are going to find faith in him. And I'm sure for many of you, uh, you're probably sitting here and that sounds 
exactly like your testimony of a God who even in the middle of the messiness of life brought you out of your circumstances. Or maybe I can just tell you like my grandma would say it. Uh, she said that God picked me up and, and he turned me around, that he healed my body and he told me to run on because he is my friend and because can't nobody do me like Jesus. Notice though that it's God who testifies that I have shown myself. And so hope, let me assure you that it is God alone who has at work in our salvation. See, it's, it's undeniable. It's, it's gentle, but often not so gentle. It's a pull or a tug that, that you feel that you cannot explain. It's mysterious and though it's, it's also then incredibly specific, but it's indescribable. It's like uh, the prophet says, it's like fire shut up in your bones. It's this reality that, that you recognize that God is at work in you. And we cannot forget about what verse 21 says though, because it's God himself who says that all the day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. It's important to know, church, that, that Paul is making this very distinct contrast between verses 20 and verse 21. So while verse uh, 20 is distinctive about the Gentiles, uh, as I said, it's about you and I, verse 21 then seeks to address Israel specifically. But let me warn you against, in any case, thinking that you can't be considered among the disobedient and contrary people. Because Paul has already told us that we all fall short of God's glory. And if you're listening and you're a believer, or, or maybe you're listening and you're just trying to figure out what this whole Jesus thing, if it's real, and you see these questions and ensure what to make of them, let me simply point you to the answer for all the questions that life brings. It's Jesus. And to the religious or the irreligious, uh, whichever perspective that you're coming from, I, I know that we have this night and day seeking fulfillment that can only be found in him. So no matter which perspective you look at this text and you question it, know that the answer is Jesus. This Jesus who, who came to earth and lived a sinless life, yet on the cross he bore the sins of humanity, and he imputed his righteousness to us. It's in him alone that the questions of life and ministry are answered. So would you come to trust him today? Would you make him Lord and Savior of your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word for us this morning. And a world that is so full of chaos and uncertainty, as even objective truth is also questioned, you have given us the one thing that we can be sure of, and that's Jesus. And to those who are with us, who are still living with these questions of life, would you draw them to yourself? Would you draw them to, to know and to love you 
to know the truth that only you and you alone can bring. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.